So the biggest problems that people have with Ramadan, you know, obviously it's what do you eat for Sahur so you, so you get less hungry and so you have better energy levels during the fast. You know, what do you eat for iftar or what do you what do you do if you go to a family gathering like an iftar or a dawat to make sure that you're not getting, you know, excess calories and gaining body fat or feeling bloated and tired during tarawih where you can't focus and you have to hold your wudu in because you feel gassy, right? Like how do you avoid all those things? Those are some of the common problems. Another big one is like, how do I stay hydrated? How do I taper off caffeine or come off caffeine before Ramadan? These are all problems that people have. And the cool thing with fasting is a lot of studies have shown that fasting actually helps you burn more visceral fat, which is the fat that is most you know, detrimental to your cardiovascular health and most commonly associated with atherosclerosis, aka the hardening of the blood vessels, or sorry, the, uh, the clogging of the blood vessels. So what are some processes I can implement in my life that will enhance my quality of life, how I feel, make me feel more motivated, make me feel more driven, more energetic, better overall, in addition to nutrition or in conjunction with nutrition. Welcome to another episode of the Optimized Muslim Podcast. Today, alhamdulillah, it's another guest episode. I have with me brother Munir Lazuni. Um, I think I've got that right. And he's an online coach. He's the man behind Modern Muslim Man. He's very popular on Instagram and other social media. So there's a lot of things that I can speak to him about. And I'm sure it'll be of benefit to you as well, inshallah. So assalamu alaikum, bro. And jazakallah khair for coming on the podcast. Wajakum and Wajazakum. You know, I want to say Jazakallah to you as well, because it's always an honor to be able to, you know, do content that's beneficial for Muslims, whether it's across fitness, business, Ramadan prep, all the stuff that inshallah we're going to cover today. And, uh, you know, I, I really see this as a form of Sadaqah Jariyah because inshallah this interview and the different clips from this interview will help, you know, many Muslims for generations to come because, you know, fitness, business, deen, all of these things are intertwined because if we do things for the sake of Allah, everything becomes an act of our ibadah. And if we want to follow the Sunnah, obviously all of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, and uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they were all fit, mashallah. And you know, many of them were entrepreneurs. So, inshallah, you know, it's uh, it's a Sunnah, and I'm honored to be able to inspire others. And I wanted to say shout out to you for your platform, the you know Salafajaria, and benefit you're giving to others, and may Allah increase you multifold and continue to increase you and bless you and everything else. Amin. Amin. And, and if anybody's watching to say I mean for both of us, inshallah. So, well, bismillah, let's do it, man. I'm excited, inshallah. Bismillah. So, yeah, jazakallah khair for those kind words. There's a lot of things that um, I wanted to ask you about, ask you about, pick your brain. That's one of the benefits of having this kind of podcast for myself because as I'm growing on my journey, whether that's content creation or podcasting and whatnot, um, I'm able to invite people on and by through me asking the questions, other people can also benefit. So we're going to talk about, just for the audience, um, there'll be a lot on fitness, managing health and optimizing Ramadan because that's coming up in less than a month, inshallah. Um, Suhoor, what type of iftar, how to kind of manage your energy throughout the day, all that kind of stuff. But I also wanted to ask Brother Munir about online business, um, being a coach online, um, content creation. So there's a lot of different things that I wanted to touch on inshallah so first of all um one thing that you'll notice and a lot of you might have come from instagram because i think brother Munir is he's got the biggest following out of his social media on instagram or tiktok i've only seen instagram i think so um i normally like to check out long form content for people because you know like to find out more about them how they think kind of deeper ideas um 
So I checked out Brother Muni's YouTube channel. So I'd recommend that. It's all going to be linked in the description, inshallah. And Alhamdulillah, I was like very impressed at your communication skills. You're able to go more in depth. And obviously, short form content is a kind of different beast, I guess. Um, but before I get into all of that, please share about your origin story behind Modern Muslim Man. Um, how you got into it, what the mission is, that kind of stuff, because it's very much aligned with this project, Alhamdulillah. So that's why I kind of wanted to have you on and I'm excited to hear from you, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and the kind words. And yeah, bismillah, let's dive in. So, you know, it all started off with just fitness coaching, right? Because uh, in, in college, you know, I jumped around with a bunch of majors. Like I got really into fitness right before college. And so in high school, from like age 15 to 18, I was working out a lot. Alhamdulillah, I got really into it. It helped me build a lot of confidence and it helped me to build discipline. And really, even before working out, Islam helped me build discipline because, you know, we all start fasting at a younger age than that. And, uh, you know, when you fast in Ramadan, it teaches you discipline. And, you know, it ties in with what we're going to touch on later today, inshallah, because if you have the discipline to control your desires all day long, you have to discipline to control yourself when it comes to desires with food all year round. Right. Mm. And like, if you can completely not eat, it's very easy to avoid unhealthy foods and eat something healthy. And of course, to avoid sin, temptation, everything. So Islam teaches us so much that the West is just catching on to. And you look at different things that are discovered today in the West that we've known for 1400 you know, 1400 plus years, mashallah. So alhamdulillah for Islam. And, you know, a lot of times it's easy to take it for granted. But when you look at, you know, the different hadiths that were passed down in the Quran, that was passed down generations, there's such an appreciation for every Muslim who has passed along the message. And inshallah, may Allah make us amongst those who spread the deen, spread the da'wah, help other Muslims become closer with Allah. I mean, so Islam was my foundation, man. And then that helped me get into fitness. And then fitness, you know, in college, I went and I started with uh, biology as my major. But I didn't really like it because I had to do a lot of chemistry, complex math equations. And I was, you know, I'm good with math, but not, I don't want to do math all day long per se. Although ironically, I do that now in a different capacity. And then I went to economics and that was also a lot of math. So I went to psychology because I was very interested in that. And, you know, psychology really resonated with the personal development journey I've been on since I was 15. Because 15, you know, at the same time I started fitness, I started a personal development journey. And alhamdulillah, it's been very rewarding. And, you know, it's a huge part of Islam is to work on your character, your akhlaq right? It resonates with Islam. And just like I said earlier, everything that you do, if you do it for the sake of Allah, it becomes an ibadah. This podcast is an act of ibadah. Why? Because I want these ideas to help other Muslims who are on this journey too, whether they're ahead of me, whether they're you know not as far along as me, whether they're somewhere in between, right? Hearing the different perspectives and lessons of others can always teach us good lessons that we can take on for ourselves. And we can take some of it. We can you know discard other elements if it's not relevant to us or if we disagree. But inshallah, we all got to be on the self-improvement journey. So Psychology, understanding the human mind, understanding my mind and the minds of others was really helpful. But uh, I wanted to go on to become actually an occupational therapist. But I realized that the amount of baggage I would take on from other people would really weigh me down. It wasn't really what I envisioned for my life, per se. So I said, hey, I'll just get into personal training. Who cares about the money? Whatever. You know, and ironically, personal training is actually a lot of money in it. Alhamdulillah. Um, but I went in, just wanted to train people, help people. And my first job offer was like twice what I was expecting per hour. So I was like, Alhamdulillah, I'll take it. So I learned a lot, had some good mentors, alhamdulillah, got really into the business side of things too. Because uh, I, I really wasn't business minded before I became a personal trainer, but alhamdulillah, my first mentor, he was very business minded. And, you know, within six months, I learned the skill sets of sales uh, and I started learning management because we we're signing up so many clients that we needed to hire a bunch of people. So we hired, you know, over the course of two years or just under two years, a team of 10 trainers. We, uh, we multiplied the revenue of the business by 4X, you know, alhamdulillah, and by the will of Allah, alhamdulillah. And so... Ultimately, it taught me a lot. And so Allah was putting me through these different things to prepare me for what I believe is the responsibility I have now with a modern Muslim, where 
all of all of our audience, both of us, they have a right on us, right? I heard this from Brother Jabril Romani, who I know you've had on the podcast as well. You know, one time I was struggling with my motivation when it was coming to my content because I was getting burnt out with a lot of hours. And he said, these people have a right on you. And I said, you know what? That's all the motivation I need to keep creating content. But before I even got to that content creation, like we were talking about, there was a foundation, right? So I had a couple other mentors, started my business when I left that job as, you know, the personal training manager and all that. Uh, first, I was in person, but then I went online. And at first, I was just training non-Muslims, but... Even so, because of my name, because of my look, because I understand, you know, Islam, Ramadan, everything, 25% roughly of my clients were Muslim, which was kind of crazy. So, you know, I was always trying to find my niche, like who who is the person who I'm best equipped to solve their problems, right? And uh, it was December of 2021 when my CMO at the time recommended that, because I just threw out the idea, because I had the idea to work with Muslims specifically since 2018, but I just didn't feel ready to lead that niche because I wasn't the best Muslim I could be at the time, right? And so, alhamdulillah, you know, when I decided, hey, you know what, I'm just going to help the ummah get fit. Like, even if I'm not like perfect, I'm just going to help the ummah get fit because that's something I am qualified to do December 2021. And subhanAllah, by making that decision to lead other Muslims, it inspired me, you know, to start becoming a better Muslim myself. And I did actually a podcast with this brother named uh, Brother Sadaf, and may Allah bless him because every good deed that I do now, I would attribute to the ripple effect from the conversation that he and I had that day, which inspired me to dial in my five daily salat. And alhamdulillah, from there, it's been, you know, a very good journey. And, you know, Allah has multiplied my barakah in every area of my life. And I think that's important to hear because I know that some Muslims, you know, in preparation for Ramadan, they're trying to get better with their time management. And, you know, alhamdulillah, many, honestly, most Muslims I speak to are dialed in with their five prayers. But there is a large percentage of Muslims who are not dialed in with their salat. Maybe they pray four, but they miss fajr. Maybe they may they pray one or two, but they're struggling with the others, or maybe they have you know a busy work schedule and they're not creating the time management. So we'll talk about that a little bit today too. But um, that's where the modern Muslim expanded beyond fitness because as I went on this journey and I saw the barakah in my own life, I felt inspired to share that with others. And that was the content that really took off more so than even the fitness content. And so alhamdulillah, over the last year, we've gone from zero to we just hit 90K today, alhamdulillah, and soon inshallah, 100K, uh, I almost said 1,000K, which is a million. Well, inshallah, in a couple of years, right? And, uh, you know, it's, it's just been a blessing. It's really helped me to be a better Muslim. It's brought me closer with Allah. It's held me accountable to keep leveling myself up and growing. And Alhamdulillah, I've even started learning Arabic now, which is something that has always been a lifelong dream. So I finally took action, bought Rosetta Stone. We're working on it. But uh, anyways, just wanted to kind of answer your question with how I got into all this. Hopefully I answered it thoroughly, but not too thoroughly. <laughs> no, that's great. There were so many um, little things that I wanted to uh, touch on but i'll try and keep i won't talk too much because sometimes i do that um but there's a, a bit of similarity i guess there and there's a bit of there's some lessons that i can learn as well from that because um the point that you mentioned about motivation one thing that i heard everyone has different things that kind of stick with them or work for them i guess and the one thing that i heard once was think about the person that you're helping in terms of instead of thinking like how qualified you are obviously it depends which area you're going into you don't want to go into things that you're obviously not qualified for but if you just picture the person that you're helping that helps you overcome the activation energy to get started like that video that you make on say motivation or willpower could really help someone and it's kind of qadr allah as well because how you look your frame and just who you are it relates to different people in different ways so like some most people might not be that impacted but you don't know who that one person is that because of a whole variety of factors the way you look the way you speak your background whatever um you connect with them on like a deep level and that's like the sadaqajaria benefit of this of doing kind of online work and i think the other thing 
that was interesting. You mentioned that you, I did watch that video because it was the first video that comes on your YouTube about the kind of starting story. And you did mention in that, that you wanted to do it about three years ago. And I kind of share that sentiment as well, because I got into personal development when I was at university and Alhamdulillah, it's like a very positive, it's like a positive loop. It, it helps your mindset and then you become more optimistic and then it's like a virtuous kind of cycle. Um, but there was an element where at one stage I was like, I need to do all this first. I'm going to learn Arabic and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do. <clears throat> but then I realized that you just have to assess on the basis of the feedback you're getting from the people around you, um, your friends and like colleagues, people might be asking you to start a YouTube, that kind of thing. So it's like organic, but also um, your interest, because I could think of, and as human beings, we sometimes do this and obviously um we should only compare ourselves to people who are kind of in worldly sense. We shouldn't be comparing in terms of material things. Um, when it comes to the Dean, it's good to kind of compete with people in a sense as well to kind of elevate each other. But the, um, I remember thinking, oh, I can think of X person and he's like a Oxford graduate. He's an alim. He knows Arabic. He started a company and he used to be a county cricket player. And I'm like, I'm, I can't start optimize Muslim because like, why isn't he doing it? But then it clicked like there's a reason he, that's not his interest. His interest might be Islamic finance or something. Right. So I think that's quite important to encourage people to kind of step up and do the work that they feel is important. So um, getting it back over to you, uh, inshallah, with some form of a, a question is. Um, how, I wanted you to talk more about how the accountability side that you mentioned, because I've noticed that as well. Um, because it's like you're creating content on these topics, it kind of helps keep you accountable in a sense as well, especially when you start working with a, a couple of clients. Um, it kind of helps you level up, you know, when you have like a coaching call or something and then you get that positive, um, you come out of that feeling really positive and it pushes you to improve yourself as well. So if you could share some thoughts on on that side. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I've had a, I actually had two mentors who had two very different schools of thought on this. I had one mentor who said, you need to become an expert before you can lead people. And I had another mentor who said, Hey, leading people helps me become more of an expert. <laughs> and so you have to decide which of those ideas serves you and the people who you want to serve better. Mm -hmm. Is it the procrastinators mindset? Because I, I need to learn everything perfect. I need to study for 10 years, become an expert, 10,000 hours of experience. Or can you own the fact that you're not as much of an expert as you'll be in 10 years, but you have something that somebody can benefit from possibly more than they would benefit from it when you're 10 years removed from the current point you're at right now. So like right now, if somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, I'm having trouble praying. I'll say, Hey, no problem. A year and a half ago, I had the exact same problem. I can help you versus 10 years from now. I'd be like, what do you mean? You don't pray. What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? So like it, inshallah. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, Allah is the turner of hearts, you know, and so may Allah keep us steadfast on the deen. I mean, right. You know, we can't assume anything. We always got to do our best and we got to understand that Allah has a plan for us and inshallah have faith in that plan. So, you know, but at the end of the day, so who can you help today, right? You know, let's say that you're somebody who wants to be a fitness coach. Yes, of course, if you're like at the heaviest weights you've ever been in your life, maybe you shouldn't become a fitness coach. But even once you've lost that first 10 pounds, you can at least put out some content, which is, hey, here's how I lost my first 10 pounds, 300 pounds. Uh, I'm 290 now. Here's what I did to lose that first 10 pounds. You know, I'm not an expert, but I just hope this helps somebody. And guess what it will? Because there's somebody who's 300 pounds is looking at the 190 pound trainer with a six pack who can't relate with him, but he sees you and you're 290 and you're documenting your journey. And you have the courage to own what you know and what you don't know. And guess what? Then by the time that you've lost 100 pounds or 200 pounds, you've got this huge following of people who you've helped. And then some of those people will have reached out and they want to become clients. And, you know, subhanAllah, like for instance, for me, 
last year, uh, I actually put on some weight, right? And this has happened a couple of times, even while being a personal trainer. And so, you know, of course, there's a natural desire to hide that. But I said, hey, you know what? How can I feature this to inspire others? Like there's this one guy who got like really overweight, like he put on like 100 pounds. His thing is called fit to fat to fit, right? And he did it to inspire his clients. I said, hey, you know what? I've put on a little bit of weight. Let me inspire others by showing how I lose this weight. How do I handle this problem? Or like when I got COVID in January, 2020, I lost like 13 pounds of muscle in like, what was it? Two weeks, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. So I documented, how do I gain that muscle back, that hard earned muscle? So again, like you got to own wherever you're at and think, who can I help right now? Don't lie about your level of experience or lack thereof, but just own where you're at and share that message with others. I really feel that it helps you become better because when you become a leader, you then have more accountability to be better. Like if you're a father or a mother, right? You got to lead your kids. And so that's a huge motivator I use to, to leverage to help clients be more motivated to be fit is to set a better example for their kids. Like some people they say, hey, you know, my like some sisters, right? You might have a sister, she's in her 30s or 40s. And she says, hey, I noticed that my daughter has started putting on weight because she's following my habits. Or like, you know, you might have a brother in his 40s and said, hey, my wife and my kids have put on weight because they see me and how I eat. So this is my motivation to change so I can pass on generational health, not just generational wealth. Same thing, like, with my clients, when they join our mastermind, you know, we have a separate group for women, a separate group for men. And so when a client joins a mastermind, I, in, I bring them into the community and then I start featuring their wins, not only to keep them motivated, but also to inspire the other clients and so that they feel that accountability to keep that winning streak up. So likewise with us, when we share content, it motivates us to keep living up to these values that we're you know, teaching others. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that one of the most hated things that you can do is to is to preach something but not practice it yourself. So it gives you that level of accountability mm. to truly, and of course I'm paraphrasing that verse. I yeah. wish we had a direct quote, maybe we could pull it up after inshallah, where you can superimpose in the editing. But you know, so humble anyways, I'm I'm going on a bunch of tangents, but hopefully that answers the question, inshallah. Yeah, it does definitely. So how long were you doing um did your online coaching start before Modern Muslim Man or was that kind of alongside that? Yeah, so it started 2018 and the first two years, it was a total flop, you know, just lost a lot of money. But so I had to have a bunch of jobs at the time. Mm. Uh, but 2020, uh, I met this influencer uh, in the non-Muslim niche who like referred me a bunch of clients. I lived with him for a year. I learned a lot about content creation. And then it was at the end of my time staying with him that I started Modern Muslim. I started praying five times a day. I said, hey, you know what? I don't want to be living with non-Muslims and being surrounded by, you know, the wrong influence. And that's why I decided to move back here to San Diego. Mm, and that's when things were yeah, yeah definitely because um there's not really that much cross transfer between the platforms so like um i think your mm. case study that you doubled down on what was working so what i saw was that if you look at instagram reels and short form content yeah it's still proportionally still higher than long form content but um the organic reach has kind of gone or started to dip compared to how it was maybe eight months ago right um so i noticed that you kind of spent less on the less time on the long form videos and you focused on what seemed to be working is that like an accurate assessment yeah because like um i always used to feel more comfortable with long form like I've, I've i've always been you know a monologue kind of guy like just ask my mom even when i was five years old i would go on these long monologues and as you can see you ask me a question i take 15 minutes to answer the question because i go on 10 tangents right so that type of content is very easy for me but having brevity keeping my content to under 60, 90 seconds is actually harder for me, but I saw it was working. I saw TikTok was a viral platform, which is where I first went viral before Instagram, alhamdulillah. And uh, oh, actually okay. my first video that went viral on Instagram was actually a 20 minute long form video, last Ramadan talking about, you know, what to eat before and after the fast for Sahur and Iftar for optimization. 
which we're on the Optimized Muslim podcast right now. So we'll dive into that later, inshallah. inshallah. But yeah, it's uh, so, so, so I, I, I do like long form though, because long form, as you mentioned earlier, when somebody wants to make a deeper connection with somebody, they want to dive into that long form and get to know them, their deeper ideas, as opposed to just, you know, surface level attention graphics. So even my reels, they now let you do reels that are kind of longer mm -hmm. than 90 seconds. So, uh, so I've, I've been making them like two, three minutes because I want to at least have like a full idea, but even so I want to go shorter so I can make YouTube shorts happen to get more traffic to the long form. YouTube, mm. inshallah. Yeah, definitely. I just want to mention there was someone you've definitely, mashallah, got the most impressive beard that we featured on the podcast thus far because, um, mashallah, because someone commented, um, I asked who do you want as more guests and for some reason, I don't know if they were just um, being annoying or they were like, I want someone with a full beard. Everyone's cutting their beard these days. I was like, that. at least I've answered that then, yeah. So um, in terms of the, I also wanted to mention that we've been talking a lot about creating content. Obviously, creating content is just one form, arguably minor. You can help Sadaqah Jariah in many different ways. Even It depends on your skill set. As you can see, Brother Muni is a very good communicator. He's suited for this platform. Some people might be good writers. I know people who can um, do stuff just on Twitter and LinkedIn by writing. So everyone, I just wanted to put that kind of disclaimer. We're not necessarily saying everyone has to start coming onto social media and like um, making um, making this kind of content. So in terms of um, helping Muslims with fitness and health and coming up to Ramadan as well, so that's in less than one month. Um, you have got videos from, I think, when there was 60 days left to Ramadan um, on your YouTube channel. But just from your experience, having worked with a lot more Muslims over the last years with Modern Muslim Man, what are the common what would you say are the common challenges um, that people have? Sounds obvious they want to lose weight and get in shape, but according to your kind of ideal client and demographic, um, how, what are their problems? Um, and then we'll talk about the solutions. Yeah, so the biggest problems that people have with Ramadan, you know, obviously it's what do you eat for Sahur so you, so you get less hungry and so you have better energy levels during the fast. You know, what do you eat for iftar or what do you... What do you do if you go to a family gathering like an iftar or a dawat to make sure that you're not getting, you know, excess calories and gaining body fat or feeling bloated and tired during tarawih where you can't focus and you have to hold your wudu in because you feel gassy, right? Like, how do you avoid all those things? Those are some of the common problems. Another big one is like, how do I stay hydrated? How do I taper off caffeine or come off caffeine before Ramadan? These are all problems that people have um, that, you know, I've, I've tailored the Ramadan series content to, and it's been obviously, uh, you know, a lot of people have responded positively to that content because it's problems that a lot of people have. So, um, and, and I would say too, like motivation, time management, those are some other issues as well. Mm. Yeah, mashallah. So I've started offering consulting services on like the time management or just personal development from like a Muslim perspective side. And one thing you do appreciate is that um, I'm still working four days a week and online coaching is difficult as in like to actually make a business out of it. I think sometimes people have this way of thinking that it's it's really easy or something, right? You just make a video and then people click the link. And Alhamdulillah, you deserve credit for it because once you actually go through the journey and obviously um, you realize that there is a lot more to it and there's a lot more effort that goes into it and stuff. Um, but anyway, getting back to the, you can tell that my focus is on the business side these days, but I'm going to get back to the, the topic that I think will most help um, the Muslims uh, in terms of fitness and Ramadan and stuff. So talking about Ramadan, I was on, I saw someone actually ask about this the other day, um, the caffeine. I think that's one of the most common ones that people struggle with. So if someone was, let's say on average, someone drinks 
four cups of coffee a day and um they've got that in their mind because they don't want to face that slump that they get um what advice would you give them in t- terms of tapering down and managing that yeah so that's a really good question four coffees that's a lot so <laughs> you know i always advocate i advocate year round taking one day off from caffeine per week right so like i always or i typically take saturdays off from caffeine because I want to kind of let my receptors clean out. I don't want to get like addicted or dependent to even have energy. And I often actually try to avoid caffeine for the first hour upon waking because I don't want to be dependent on caffeine just to wake up. Now, there are some weeks where you have a really bit hard push week. Like this week, actually, was one of those weeks I've been like gridlocked on calls for the entire week. Like when I say gridlocked, I mean like my schedule is a gridlock because I decided to open up some consultation times. And then I also humbled had a lot of clients set up. So I had some onboarding calls in addition to my usual volume of work. Mm. So this week was crazy. So I was actually taking about three doses of caffeine a day, two and a half to three, as opposed to my usual two. Right. Um, but, and then another thing I advocate for year round is uh, don't take caffeine after 10 AM because then it's going to affect your sleep because caffeine has a half life of, I believe six hours. So 12 hours later, you still have 25% of the caffeine left in your system. So, you know, let's say that you had 400 milligrams of caffeine, you know, 400 milligram cups of coffee, like a strong cup of coffee, you still have one cup of coffee in your system when you go to bed. And subhanAllah, there's actually some like Pakistanis and Arabs who can go to bed after drinking caffeine. And I don't understand physiologically how those people work. That is one of the few fit- things in fitness that completely baffles me, Alhamdulillah. But um, but yeah, I mean, most people though, if you have a coffee right before you go to bed, you're going to have insomnia and or your sleep's not going to be good quality. So your baseline energy levels will not be good because when you sleep, it's really important because it recharges your body, it, you know, allows a lot of the neurotransmitters associated with being awake to restore your melatonin levels are high while you sleep. And then your cortisol levels come up and your melatonin comes low when you wake up, which allows you to have that feeling of wakefulness. And you should wake up in the morning with energy, both physiologically and psychologically, right? So, and then the other thing before we even talk about the caffeine tapering process is then we also got to look at nutrition because you could follow the perfect caffeine tapering protocol. But if you eat like gulab jamun with tea in the morning, and then you just switch that for like decaf tea, the gulab jamun is still going to spike your sugar. And then you're gonna, <laughs> your energy levels are going to go down. Or let's say you start your day with parathas. Weirdly enough, there's actually some people, uh, like older people whose metabolism is slowed down, who can actually, you know, if they have some complex carbs, so even like a whole wheat, low oil parata could work for support in very rare cases for like older individuals. Like my grandparents, they do whole wheat bread with eggs for support and it actually lasts them the whole day. You know, I have some clients who do really well on oatmeal, especially clients in their forties and beyond for Sahur. And outside of Ramadan, I'm a big advocate for oatmeal because it's a really good carb source in the morning. But uh, usually I prefer for people during a fast to actually do less carbs with their sahur, no carbs at all, if possible, because that prevents you from getting that blood sugar rise and then blood sugar decrease. Because again, if you can eat lunch, then you just up, re-up your blood sugar with lunch. But if you're reliant on carbs and you lack the metabolic flexibility to switch into fat burning mode, you're going to really struggle with that slump later in the day. And you mentioned the person who's drinking four cups of coffee. Why are they drinking four cups? Because they're trying to deal with that evening slump. But what if we can avoid that evening slump in the first place? We address the root cause instead of doing a caffeine tapering protocol and we do a caffeine tapering protocol too. And so our baseline energy levels are better because our sleep and our nutrition are dialed in. We're working out. So working out is also going to boost your energy if it's done right. Um, and getting the right balance with your carbs, the right timing with your carbs, which differs from person to person. Some people oxidize carbs fast. Some people oxidize them slow, right? But if you're a fast carb oxidizer, usually you'll respond better to having carbs throughout the day. Somebody who's more of a slow carb oxidizer could have carbs at night and those carbs will still fuel their workout the next day, right before iftar, right? So like almost 24 hours later. Mm. So it depends on the person. That's why every person requires a different approach. But yeah, experiment with your nutrition. We got the whole month of Shaban at the time that we're recording this to test these things out. And so 
Uh, and then let's talk about, okay, cool. So we're four weeks out from Ramadan, right? So how do you then taper off the caffeine once you've addressed more of the root cause solutions with what I, what I kind of just outlined previously. And obviously that topic goes a lot deeper and I've got a lot of videos on it too, alhamdulillah. And I'll do more too, if those videos aren't enough for you guys. So just let me know, inshallah. But, um, then, okay, what's the caffeine tapering protocol? So if you're doing caffeine every day, take one day off from caffeine right now and reduce your intake a little bit, right? So if you're doing four cups, drop it down to three, fix the root cause and take one day off from caffeine on the weekend. That way, if you get the headache, you know, at least you're, uh, at least it's a day where you're not working. So you can kind of sleep it off and hydrate, you know, relax, recharge, all that stuff. The second week, take two days off from caffeine. So maybe your lightest day of work, as well as, you know, your, your uh, lightest, uh, sorry, as well as your day off, right? And drop the caffeine down to two cups a day, right? And by that point, nutrition and exercise are kicking in properly to where your baseline energy levels are much better, right? Now we're two weeks in. Third week, then take three, possibly even four days off from caffeine and keep it at two doses of caffeine per day. You don't have to drop the dose, but you just have to drop the days. And then the fourth week, drop it down to one dose of caffeine. And you can do that five days of that week. So you just take two days off, right? And then the final week, so it's the first week of Ramadan. Now you're good. You're pretty much off caffeine. If you need to have like a cup of green tea with your sahur, that's fine, right? That way you're at least getting some caffeine. It's not going to dehydrate you like coffee. And also that's something I recommend year round. Green tea is much better than coffee. Now, coffee has more caffeine, but if you take matcha powder, or you can even like, if you like coffee machine, like before I switched from coffee to green tea, I uh, used to use my coffee maker, like my super viral video with like 1.1 million views, alhamdulillah, has coffee at the beginning, right? I'm making a coffee. Then ironically, like four to eight weeks after that, I switched from coffee to green tea after a recommendation from a friend. Uh, Green tea doesn't dehydrate you the same amount. So I recommend, you know, if you get these matcha pods, they have 50 milligrams of caffeine, which is like about half a cup of coffee. So you can drink two of them. So now you can drink even more of this nice, delicious, warm liquid in the morning. And, you know, you get the energy and it's a much smoother caffeine. Um, your body processes it better. It has L-theanine mm. in it, which boosts your immune well. So green tea is far superior to coffee if you're looking for like a year-round caffeine source. So mm. that's my long-winded monologue answer to your question. <laughs> no, that's great. We're looking for these kind of more long-form answers. So Alhamdulillah, it's good. Because mm. I think that's one of the common things that people probably struggle with but you're right in bringing people's attention to the root causes alhamdulillah because like you mentioned it's it's something that you hear often oh i struggle with caffeine and in ramazan you don't have your coffee and it's kind of become a bit of a meme like you know the first cup of coffee on eid um but i think a lot of people still maintain tea or coffee they just do it once they break their fast so they don't really come off it they just come off it in the morning period and um about the delaying the caffeine intake, I think um, I got that from Huberman, who um, become really popular in the last couple of years. And I definitely saw that it worked because I got into the habit of as soon as you wake up kind of within the first 20 minutes having coffee or having tea. Um, and then sometimes I'd have the caffeine and L-theanine capsules. But you definitely feel a difference. Um, if people want to learn more about it, they can go and watch um, Huberman's videos on it. But it's like the it allows your cortisol to rise naturally and stuff and then you don't feel the energy go down and then you're able to get more out of the caffeine once you actually do take it because you're delaying it by about 90 minutes and um but yeah that's that's definitely helpful and then i think some people are just uh, they know that it's going to be painful and instead of having a protocol they just think i'm just going to take it for the first two days because i think that kind of works as well you know that the pain is going to last for a couple of days and then you get used to it so you can just avoid the whole protocol if you really want depends how bad it is actually so like if you really can't function then you need to employ some kind of protocol but if it's just a bit of discomfort i think i used to do that i used to just understand that i'm gonna 
feel a bit of a slump and just get through it after like a couple of days um but other than that like you mentioned um if you decrease it by 50 percent on like the weekend days even that helps a lot and then maybe on the sunday you can just decrease it again so you you're still maintaining the hot liquid ritual by either using green tea or by just having like 25 percent of the of the coffee in there um so i think that makes it a bit easier for people so moving on to what would you say are um if you can go through some good you've got full videos on this and i'll try and link them in the description i'll link your whole channel in the description so you've got videos on sahur meals iftar meals um things like that so you touched on it actually in terms of lowering carbohydrates um and obviously that leads to ketosis which has kind of died down a bit like the keto diet but if you can talk about what you recommend in terms of consuming carbohydrates for sahur and um, what some optimized meal plans are based on your experience yeah so so it takes a couple of days actually to get into like full-on ketosis but your body does start to develop the metabolic flexibility start using more fat for fuel right and i don't necessarily advocate for getting into a completely ketogenic state because then if you eat carbs iftar i mean you know your body just goes through these weird cycles right uh, and you'll feel possibly a little bit off, but, um, but ketosis can work for some people. Uh, there are actually some people who completely swear by ketosis, right? Uh, I don't think I've seen any Muslims who swear by ketosis though, because why our families all love eating carbs. So it's kind of hard to go keto as a Muslim, but actually, no, I've, I know some Muslims who are very into keto, but, uh, most Muslims I know who are very fit understand that carbs are a great fuel source and it's a great way to make things sustainable. So, um, so yeah, for, for Sahur, you know, the one source of carbs that, I would be okay with having for Sahur would be actually there's a couple. There's probably three carb sources uh, that I would personally consider consuming for Sahur that I've successfully used for Sahur in the past, which are oatmeal, because it's probably one of the longest lasting, you know, carbs that you can eat, like it'll keep your stomach full for, for, for a pretty long time. I mean, you'll still get hungrier than on like some healthy fats because fats, you know, take a lot longer to digest. But at least it's long lasting and it will keep your blood sugar levels pretty stable. And it'll also improve how your body processes blood sugar later in the day. Um, for those who, you know, have no digestive issues with oatmeal and I typically recommend gluten-free oatmeal just so you don't get like the gluten, you know, potential, uh, digestive issues. Now, the other one would be potatoes now, or you could do potato or sweet potato, whichever you prefer the taste of. And potatoes are great because they have a lot of vitamin C, a lot of potassium. You can actually eat a very large quantity of them and they're very satiating and it doesn't actually add up to that many calories, surprisingly, mm. as long as they're not deep fried, they gotta be air fried with no oil. If you add oil, they soak up oil really nicely and you deep fry them and all of a sudden you've like quadrupled the calories. So then it ruins the purpose, right? Especially if it's unhealthy, like vegetable oil or something. Then the other thing, the other, the third carb would be like, like some low sugar Greek yogurt, right? That's actually a very good support for people who don't get digestion issues from dairy because Greek yogurt, the primary protein source inside of Greek yogurt is casein, which is one of the slowest digesting proteins. So it will last you for a very long time. Some people do notice though, that from consuming casein, it makes them pee a lot. And this is a very small percentage of people, but I did have a client who we were trying to have him do casein at night, like in the form of yogurt. And he just found that no matter whether it was a casein shake, whether it was even just yogurt, he, he would have to pee all night long if he consumed casein before bed, which obviously wasn't optimal because that's messing with the sleep quality. And it's not optimal for a fast because if you're dehydrating yourself of all the water, which is also why I don't advocate, you know, coffee with Sahur, I would recommend green tea instead, if you need something for caffeine with your Sahur. So that being said, though, my typical Sahur does not have any carbs. So I'll usually for Sahur do about four to six eggs and I'll do two scoops of protein and then I'll do one to two low or zero sugar Chobani Greek yogurts at zero percent. Right. And so that comes out to let's say we do five eggs. 
right? That's about, so 300 plus 250 from the proteins, that's 550 plus, you know, 120 from two yogurts is uh, 670 calories, which is like pretty low calorie compared to like my total intake. You know, it's about 30% of my daily intake. So it's, it's pretty optimized. But what's the quality of those foods is now I'm doing these nice pasture-raised eggs that have omega-3s in them. So this is going to give my body a long-lasting fuel source. And then when my body runs out of the fuel from the food I ate, which 670 calories isn't that much to where it'll run out pretty quick, probably by noon, my body switches into fat burning mode because my body's already been using those fats for energy from the eggs. So now my body says, okay, cool, you know, body fat. And the cool thing with fasting is a lot of studies have shown that fasting actually helps you burn more visceral fat, which is the fat that is most, you know, detrimental to your cardiovascular health and most commonly associated with atherosclerosis, aka the hardening of the blood vessels, or sorry, the uh, the clogging of the blood vessels. So it's very beneficial for, inshallah, preventing heart attacks. And of course, you know, everything is qadrullah. But of course, what was your qadr to be somebody who just ate junk food and had a heart attack at 40 or somebody who ate really clean and maybe you died of something else when you were 40 or 60 or whatever. But, you know, uh, a lot of people try to blame qadr for their lack of taking action. Mm. But the thing is, you know, if, if that was a less qadr for you, that you were just some mediocre, weak person, uh, you know, I, I think that we all have accountability on ourselves because Allah is going to ask us on the day of judgment, why did you not, why did you not pray? Or why did you not do this? Or why did you not fast? Why did you not take care of the body? Why did you not be the best person you could be for your family? So there is accountability on us to make the right decisions. So again, you know, whenever I talk about living longer, people are like, oh, well, when you die, it's qadr. Yes, it's qadr. But what was the means by which Allah's will came to be? Was your qadr that you got in a car crash at age 25? Was your qadr that she died of a heart attack when you were 40 because you were overweight? Or was it that she died of natural cause when you were 70 or of a car crash when you were 45? Again, we don't know, you know? But that's why we always got to live every day and be our best every single day because we never know when we can die. So do the best you can on this earth to do as many good deeds. And again, serve other people, those people around you who have a right on you, your family, your employees, your clients, your your bosses, if you have a job, you know, your, your coworkers, fulfill the rights of those people for the sake of Allah and it becomes an act of ibadah. So that's what I would encourage everybody to take as much action as you can. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to follow up every good deed with another good deed, every productive action with another productive action. And so I tried my best to live my life by those principles and not be lazy and not have downtime, except as it is required to recharge my energy levels after I've taken a lot of action. So I, I call it recovery, not rest, okay? Rest is a form of recovery, but why am I resting? For the purpose of recovery, not for the purpose of being lazy. But um, anyways, so back to Sahur though. So, the, so that's my typical Sahur, but somebody like some of my clients, you know, because of their schedule, the literally only time they can train is after Fajr, even during Ramadan which for those people, I make sure that their workout isn't going to make them sweat, isn't going to make them hungry, isn't going to make them dehydrated so that they aren't like miserable all day, right? Or some people, they have to train at their lunch break, right? So for them, you know, same thing. We do want to have some carbs in Sahur if there's somebody who needs carbs before their workout to, you know, have optimal, uh, you know, performance. So for those people, we'll do either oatmeal or potatoes. It's like a solid carb source. And then also people who struggle a lot with, with dehydration. What I found is potatoes are actually really good for hydration. Some potatoes with some iodized sea salt on them. Because what that does is you're getting your iodine, which is good for your metabolism. You're getting your, your salt, your sodium, which is good for hydration. And you're getting your potassium from the potatoes, uh, as well as vitamin C. And I mean, potatoes just have such good micronutrients, subhanAllah. And so you combine all that. And so it's going to help with hydration later into the fast. And then just don't overdo the water at Sahur. Dr drink a lot of water if iftar, especially before you eat, not after you eat because then you get bloated, but before you eat. So you get you know that water in your system after being, uh, you know, not having water in your system all day. That way you're kind of front loading that water intake and you're not going to have to then back load that water at Sahur and then be peeing all morning and then be dehydrated all evening, you know? So 
that's uh, typically what I like for Sahur, and especially when you up your protein intake for the purposes of having a better body composition, better energy levels, better metabolism, your body does start peeing more because protein does make you pee more. So you do need to make sure that you're staying hydrated and you're getting your electrolytes through your foods, the sodium, potassium, you know, the Greek yogurt and the whey protein has calcium, which is also important for, you know, hydration, metabolism, bodily function. Uh, you, and, and so you want to consume red meat, actually, you know, even for people who have cholesterol issues still once or twice a week, but for people who don't have cholesterol issues, you could even do like four to five times a week. So you get your iron intake or oysters. If you like oysters, those are great for iron as well. Um, you know, very bioavailable iron. Um, so again, there, there's so many different things to do. And then that, that leads it to the next, next Sahur. I don't usually do this, but I've done it in the past, which is doing like some sort of steak and eggs for Sahur, right? That's a good one. Or like lean ground beef, kima, right? Or you can make ground beef patties. And those are easy because you meal prep for the week and you put them in the air fryer in the morning. That way, when you're tired and it's Sahur time and you only have a short amount of time, if you like that, you can eat that. You know, some people, again, they have to keep it to one to two days a week maximum for red meat. But other people, they can consume it a lot more. You know, subhanAllah, we're all created different. It also depends on your blood type. So definitely look into like eat right for your type. It's a good book, right? And then test it on yourself though, because you may find that even if you have a certain blood type, you digest certain foods well versus you might find like, I believe it's a type B blood uh, has digestive issues with chicken. Double check that. I need to double check the notes. I might be paraphrasing it wrong, but there's there's so many intricacies to nutrition. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that you create a proper meal plan for yourself and that you test it out during your Shaban fast to make sure that it's actually working for you. So by the time that Ramadan comes around, you don't have to go through that guesswork and like the stress while you should be focusing on Ibadah, but instead you already have a dialed in where your Ramadan is smooth. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of points, important points that you mentioned there, because I think I recommend that normally people have more of like a uh, experimental mindset. I know not everyone's going to be wired in this kind of self-development way, right? Um, and I've spoken about this with people and guests before that someone who's into self-development and they're into all this, they might be, they might seem like an alien to someone who who doesn't kind of focus on that. They'll be like, oh, today I checked my sleep tracker and I've got this much HRV and um, they kind of, but I think, I think there is, a push towards that even if you look at the deen because like you mentioned people have this misunderstanding about qadr um, and that usually comes to the fore um, with lifespan but also money so people it kind of stops them because they don't have the correct understanding of it it stops them from taking action when even if you look at the uh, simple cases if you look at the hadith about um, eating one third one third water one third food and one third for it that's like a prescription isn't it it's like a as in there's obviously an assumption that the person has control to be able to kind of enact that, right? So even something, the deen without that, it kind of, I don't see how people can reconcile it because it's quite obvious the whole deen is about taking and doing certain actions and stopping certain actions and having that kind of level of um, control, I guess, to kind of improve your situation, improve your life. Um, in terms of the what you mentioned about living amongst like Asian families or Pakistani families. Um, because when I used to live alone for work, everything was a lot easier. I used to follow like a keto diet and more kind of towards the end, um, going towards carnivore in a way, because um, I was dealing with some uh, health issues as well. And it kind of helped with that to an extent. But um, eggs, like literally like six to eight eggs a day, which people thought was crazy, right? <laughs> when I tell my work colleagues and stuff, six to eight eggs a day and like red meat, and it was really easy and it keeps your energy at the same level. But I understand since I'm um, living now with my family, um, it's a lot more difficult because you see all the fruit on the table and all the samosas and all the rest of it. So you probably have to have a more flexible approach uh, in terms of maybe 
minimizing carbs in the morning or um, like you mentioned also it depends on the person because it depends on your goals if you're if you want to maintain a set level of muscle mass and things like that because um, obviously having just eggs and red meat it might not necessarily be optimal for performance in terms of you lacking carbohydrates and things like that um, and also I think depend depending on your goals there is an argument for in the Ramadan to kind of kind of um step back in terms of the intake and stuff because um it helps your spirituality you know if you're consuming less food and obviously the ascetics and the the it's kind of a famous practice in Tsawwuf as well um a lot of scholars Imam Ghazali they all talk about restricting food controlling your stomach um as a means to kind of doing more ibadah having more energy for it so i just wanted to give that a mention in there as well so in terms of what about non-food related things that people can use to uh, moderate energy I, w- I was wanting to ask um, if you have any suggestions for that so what i was thinking is things like the non-sleep deep rest or like um, cold showers because i guess if someone just needs a momentary let's say it's the middle of the day and they just need a boost um i think something like that can it has a good role what um what suggestions or any comments on that yeah definitely and i also want to just say one last comment on the whole point about other like trust allah but tie your camel yeah. you got to do your part like prophet musa had to strike the ground and then allah split the red sea when you take a step towards allah allah runs towards you mm. but if you just don't take action you just sit on the couch making dua but you don't do your part then what are you expecting? Are you going to expect it to rain out of the sky? I mean, yes, Allah in the past has, you know, rained the uh, manna and quails from the sky for the Bani Israel. But at the same time, you know, that hasn't happened to everybody. Most people have had to take some kind of action in order to have the barakah rain from the sky or the barakah come into their life, inshallah. So, you know, uh, sabr uh, means patience, but it also means like perseverance. And that means to keep taking action, even in the face of adversity and even in the face of difficulty or not getting the result. And one thing that happens with that is being process oriented, focusing on the process, which is a perfect transition to answer for your next question, which is what are some processes I can implement in my life that will enhance my quality of life, how I feel, make me feel more motivated, make me feel more driven, more energetic, better overall, in addition to nutrition or in conjunction with nutrition. And cold shower is definitely one of them. Like before this, I took a cold shower. Why? Because if I took a warm shower before this, I'd be all relaxed and be like, hey, welcome to the podcast. You know, <laughs> We're here, we're covering, just chilling. Because I had a cold shower, I was like, all right, bro. Boom, let's go. I did. Let's go. Come on, let's go. Come on. Right? <laughs> because cold showers increase your, cold cold showers increase your dopamine levels, yeah. right? And they also are anti-inflammatory. You know, they help with lowering inflammation, they help with tightening up your pores, so your skin quality is better, right? And they also build discipline psychologically, right? Because, you know, it takes, you know, a somewhat crazy person to have the level of discipline and go take a cold shower, but then you learn to love it. Mm. And the strategy I use is I started off with warm because there's a benefit to warm shower, which is it recovers your body, helps with blood flow, all that stuff, helps with reducing soreness. But I finished with cold. So what I do is I, I set it to cold and then I make a hustle during the cold, the entire hustle. So it takes, you know, over a minute. So now you're getting at least 60 to mm. 120 seconds of you know cold water exposure. The other tip with this is you got to control your breathing, which is another strategy as well. But controlling your breathing with the cold shower, if you go and you start hyperventilating, you're going to have a rough time in the cold shower, right? But if you take slow breaths and you breathe as if you're sleeping, like, And it controls your physiological state. And you can even hear that my voice got a little bit deeper and slower just from doing that one, you know, demonstration breath, because what it does is it controls your physiological state. It makes you more grounded. 
right? And there's also this uh, breath that Andrew Huberman, since you mentioned him before, uh, advocates for. And I used to hear this from uh, my friend Ibrahim, my friend and client Ibrahim. Um, he's the guy in the testimonies who also has a big full beard, mashallah. And so Ibrahim, he would always he would always do this, man. Ibrahim, like I, I always associate this with Ibrahim. He go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, double inhale, double inhale. Double inhale, slow exhale. And what I actually heard on one of the Huberman podcasts is uh, if you have a side stitch, that actually helps you with the side stitch because it's like a nervous response and it helps shift your uh, the state of your central nervous system to help with that. So even just doing some breathing, like observe how you're breathing. Are you stressed out? You're breathing like, mm. or are you breathing like, yeah. And I think the reminder helps like, so even just sat here, I can see like if I actually like sit back a bit and like you start doing deeper breath, it kind of helps with everything, doesn't it? It's just a habit. But yeah, sorry for cutting you off. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. It helps you stay calm. It helps you stay grounded. It helps you stay in a good state. And it helps you stay humble too. You know, like as a believer, you know, we can't, we can't let ourselves get in our arrogance. We're in this power hungry mode where it's like, like, like a, like a dog chomping at the bit, mm. right? It's just, it's, it's not really a state of like the best believer that we can be versus we're in the state of, you know, taqwa, relaxation, you know, being focused on our deen, being in control of ourselves, as opposed to letting our desires control us. Like you can either let your nafs make you its be, or you can make your nafs your be, you know what I mean? And so who's in control? Is your day running you or you're running your day? Is shaitan, you know, influencing you? Is your nafs controlling you or are you in charge of yourself, right? And so like, that's kind of a very important point because a lot of people, they don't, they, they allow themselves to be a slave to their desires. And I really believe that learning control through Islam, self-control first through Islam, learning it through fitness as well, learning it through business, learning it through just every area of our life, even with our relations with people, it helps us to be better. Um, and then the third strategy, just to go back to the last point on like how to optimize your energy during the fast would be to go for a walk, right? Going for a walk is a good chance to shift your physiology. One thing you could do too is you can listen to Quran while you're going on a walk or do dhikr. You know, it's beautiful to listen to a nice, beautiful recitation of Quran while you go for a walk in nature. It's just such a great way to relax. You can listen to Surah Taha, a very relaxing surah to listen to. You know, a lot of beautiful things you can do. So those are some of the strategies, inshallah. Mm, jazakallah khairan for that. Yeah. I think the walking combination yeah. with dhikr um, is definitely a good one. Uh, sometimes you just want to walk and let your mind run. I guess like wherever your mind kind of goes because um, that kind of helps you relax as well. But um, I remember sometimes when we're walking, especially if people are doing cardio at the gym, unless you're watching something or like you're kind of learning something, I do think that's a good suggestion as well. Like whilst you're on the treadmill, um, you might as well just do some adhikar, um, especially if you've already got your consumption done. Meaning like if you're in the gym for like one and a half hours, you can't, focus intently on like a podcast or something for perhaps the full 90 minutes so i think towards the end um once you've kind of learned what i used to do is like say if i'm listening to a podcast as i'm going through make notes and stuff and then towards the end with the cardio i used to just go through my zikr because from one perspective it saves time but the other the other thing is um you kind of feel present because you're doing just one motion it's not really taking much of your motor skills i guess so then it's easy to focus on it and Alhamdulillah, it, it gives you, not only do you have the kind of endorphins from the workout, as in especially towards the end, but then it's like taking care of your soul set as well. Um, so I think that's that's a really good one, especially the walk, uh, midday walk as well. You mentioned something really important there, um, the important reminder that you gave. Um, I've, just, I've, just, I've just forgot, I had it in my mind. But you mentioned something about... Was it about... Yeah, it was about the... 
I was going to say, you know how we hear sometimes like, oh, this person's a type A personality, you know, he's a driven go-getter and it's associated with like alpha males, I guess, in like the non-Muslim business world, like, oh, this person, he goes after it, that kind of thing. And Alhamdulillah, that was a really good reminder that you mentioned there because as Muslims, we normally think, when you think of that person, we think of the person like you mentioned, he's like in not really in control of himself. He might be treating people in a way that's not... um not great he might be he he has like a bad temper or something and he's not really in control he's not really centered he's not really calm i think we have most respect for people who are like that they're achieving and going out taking action but they have like a calm kind of the work like you mentioned it's like at at its core they're taking the actions they're tying the camel but they have that reliance and trust and they know that everyone has rights regardless no one cares about your goals when it comes to like akhlaq and compromising on your um other than like relations with people and like how you speak to people so as muslim men that's something that differentiates us from um kind of non-muslims who are just focused on increasing revenue and things like that so i think that's a really important thing that you mentioned there so we're coming towards the end um we've got 10 or so more minutes is that okay Absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing I want to say too, is like, you know, one thing I heard from brother Jabril, brother Jabril Romani, he said, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm nothing without Allah. And I think that's an important thing to remember when you're seeing success, Alhamdulillah is say Alhamdulillah. And then, you know, do sujood, right? Because sujood keeps you humble. You're putting your prefrontal cortex, the decision-making thought, deep thinking center of your brain on the floor in submission to Allah. And you're saying, subhanahu rabbi al-ala. Allah is, you know, mm. glory to be to the most high, right? And when you do that, it helps keep you humble because it, it helps keep things in perspective. Like, you know, some people, you know, stuff for Allah, they, they cre- uh, commit kufr upon themselves, right? Like they, they view themselves as the superior being. And you may be superior in some areas to other humans and Allah has blessed you with that as a test mm. and also as a responsibility. Are you like with great power comes great responsibility. So are you going to use the power that Allah has given you? Like, you know, there, there's seven types of people who are in the shade of Allah on the day of judgment. And one of those seven types of people is a just ruler. So if Allah gave you power, use that power for good. Right. And inshallah, like the day of judgment is 50,000 years. That's a long time. You think you're living a long life, hundred years, 50,000 years. Are you going to be in the shade of Allah because you were a just ruler with the power he tested you with? Or are you going to be like Pharaoh or, you know, stuff for Allah or like, you know, some of these other examples that Allah has given us as signs of who not to be the people who are arrogant. So pray, you know, make sujood. When you find yourself having those arrogant thoughts, say, Alhamdulillah that Allah gave me these things. Alhamdulillah that Allah gave me these skills. You can be, you can be proud and appreciative of your skills, but not proud in the sense of arrogant, but proud as in like, Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed me with this. What good can I do with it? And then make sujood. Pray, thank Allah. Ask Allah to increase you. Ask Allah to keep you humble no matter how great you become. And I truly feel that refreshing that intention every day is one of the most powerful things that you can do. Yeah, definitely, mashallah. Because we all have certain blessings and gifts. There's one thing that I talk about and that's don't run to the bank with your blessings. And what that means is like, don't go to cash it out straight away. Some Sometimes, let's say someone suddenly starts getting... Because one of the other people, let's carry on from that hadith, is someone who restrain themselves and you can see the emphasis in islam on kind of restraining your ego restraining your desires that's your ethical imperative how you deal with that we don't identify with our desires this is something imam tom fachin um he mentions like we don't identify with our desires desires are part of a test and our ethical kind of imperative is how we navigate and use that and it works both ways it's not just about 
base desires in terms of like attraction to the opposite gender or whatever else it's about how you deal with your blessings um and like you mentioned there because someone's been given eloquence someone's been given a bit of charisma how do you use it you can become um 48 laws of power machiavellian right and you know because i see i see some people and i recognize it because i read the books and stuff because i'm into self development right but it's like that's your test you can either manipulate people try and be smart you know uh, i'm going to control the frame and all that kind of nonsense or you can use it to do that work or like bring people closer to islam or and also on that is um we have to we've been given an innate personality and people have been given different blessings different starting points some people have like a high level of whatever right whatever blessing there is and it's our responsibility to try and mold that towards the ideal which is based on the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam so like if you're an extrovert if you're someone who's like that type a personality it's not oh this is me and this is th- that's it your whole journey of tazkiyatun nafs is developing yourself and likewise if you're an introvert in a way that's perhaps preventing you from stepping up and taking leadership or like fulfilling your roles as like a provider or as a employer or whatever it's your responsibility to try and work towards improving on that so it's not like you've been given set of blessings that's your test and your reward is from allah he he will assess your effort so i think yeah what you mentioned before is kind of really got me thinking on that point so unless you've got anything further to add on that i'll move on to the question about um you can combine them actually so i was going to ask you about um iftar the um because we talked about suhoor maintaining your energy throughout the day having energy boosts and whatnot um some optimized practices for iftar and energy towards um tarawih and also perhaps sleep as well i know that's i've left it late yes, but okay. <laughs> no, no, no no that's great no it's perfect uh, and we'll dive into that so the two things i want to touch on is just one more point about the extrovert versus uh introvert thing so like being an extrovert is a blessing and that it's easier for you to interact with people and you're going to be better with people but it's a it's a the double edge of that sword is the fact that maybe you're going to struggle to focus on your own the advantage to being an introvert is that you can get better into focus deep work on your own but you might struggle more so with social interaction and you know people skills and all that stuff but you can always leverage those strengths to your advantage and find what you enjoy what you're passionate about what you're good at what's going to add value to others and then focus and double down on that while managing your weaknesses too Uh, or delegating if you're a business owner, but still be proficient in different things. Now, as far as uh, uh, what was the other thing you had mentioned? Uh, well, I'll talk about a star in a sec. But there was one other thing you mentioned. It was uh, before we talked about introvert versus extrovert. It was some some deep Islamic topic. What was it? It again? was um, was it about improving your personality? So, like, or is that under the as in like you? It might have. It might have. Don't. Um, it might have been before. Blessings. That. Hope- don't cash in your Go blessings. Ahead. Okay. No, it was, it was something else. I mean, those are all good points too. Inshallah, it'll yeah, come back to inshallah. me if it's if it's meant to be. This is yeah. an example of Qadr where uh, you know, we were talking about Qadr before, so sometimes you got to look yeah. back and you know, there's the hadith, one of my favorite hadiths as a fitness coach is the strong believer is more beloved to Allah than the weak believer. Uh, but the second part to that hadith is uh when when something path when something comes to pass that you see as a calamity or something bad that happened, don't say if only like if only I remember what I was going to say, mm. but rather say, "Hey, this is the Qadr of Allah. Maybe it was meant to be this way, right?" Or I mean, of course it was meant to be this way. So anyways, Um so let's dive into iftar. Maybe maybe that was required for me to have time to talk about iftar. So let's dive into it inshallah. So um so for iftar, um you know I'm a big advocate for getting your carbs in at iftar if you have control over what you eat. So it depends. Like if you're at home, you know, 
make some lean meat. So some chicken breast, some uh, tuna, either mahi-mahi or, uh, you know, ahi tuna, you know, uh, you can cook it or you could do it raw. Actually, if you have sushi grade or you could sear it with leave the inside raw. I'm actually, inshallah, have a video on that pretty soon on how to do that with like sushi grade tuna, which is really delicious. Um, and you can do that with some rice. You can do that with some potato. Uh, for the rices, I'd advocate either basmati or brown rice, but don't do jasmine rice because it has a higher glycemic index. So it kind of spikes your blood sugar a little too fast. Mm -hmm. um, so these are all things like doing some sort of lean meat with some sort of complex carb source like rice, potato, sweet potato. Um, you know, if you don't have issues with gluten, you could do bread potentially. But again, I would be careful with that because most people are going to get bloated from bread, right? And I would keep the fats very, very low because when you're, the, when you're eating higher carbs, you have to go lower in the fats and vice versa. When you're eating higher fats, you got to go lower in the carbs. So you don't overdo the calories. Because remember, you always got to get protein with every meal. That's really important for optimization. Now, but, so that's, that's for the actual meal that we eat after we break our fast. But for actually breaking the fast, I recommend breaking it with one date and a protein shake. So when you break it with a date and a protein shake, your body's been starved of protein all day long. So some people, most people prefer whey protein so you get better results, but some people they get digestion issues. So you could try plant-based protein, like Garden of Life is a good brand uh, that some of my clients really like, the ones who get issues with whey. Um, there's another one, I can't remember the name. So, you know, some people, especially in your 40s, you can get like a really sensitive stomach, but even some people 20s and 30s get it, right? And definitely like, you know, 50s and beyond. Then you have people in their 60s who can just, you know, some, somehow their stomachs are made of iron. You know, subhanAllah, Allah has created us all different. But again, assess for yourself, everybody's unique. And then from there, then after you have that protein shake and date, drink, pray maghrib, right? Drink some water and then you can eat your meal and it's gonna help you control your appetite. And then again, if you're eating at home, you can follow the parameters I just outlined, have it with a, you know, a fiber source like spinach, carrots, green beans, okra, something like that, but also try to cook that without oil as well. And that's the optimized like suhoor at home, or sorry, iftar at home. Now, what about if you're at a family gathering, you're probably not gonna have chicken breast that's cooked lean. You're probably gonna have chicken breast that's cooked in a ton of oil, right? If there is even chicken breast, or maybe it's chicken thighs or something with a lot of fat, or maybe it's like, you know, goat, goat is pretty lean, but how are they cooking the mm. goat? Because goat by itself is fine, but goat mm. cooked in an oily curry and then they pour extra like ghee inside of it. <laughs> that's probably not going to be the ideal scenario, right? So uh, you got to kind of assess what's in front of you. And the strategy I find works best is find the leanest meat you can, or if it's in like a curry, you know, obviously it's still going to taste good because you took it out of the curry. Just don't take a whole lot of the curry broth because it's probably got a lot of oil or ghee in it, right? Which again, you know, grass fed ghee is not intrinsically unhealthy, but the quantity is too many calories. And all of that ghee in your stomach is making you so bloated, so gassy. You're going to be like holding in your, your need to pass gas or break wind during tarawih. You won't be able to focus and you're, you'll be bloated and tired. You might not even make it to tarawih because you're so tired and bloated, right? So limit that quantity. And also you don't want to gain fat. And it's very easy for your body to store fat as fat. So if you're eating so many excess calories and fat, we got to be careful with that, especially if we're having carbs with it. So take you know, the meat portions out of a curry, or if you can find some lean meats, so like let's say there's some chicken legs, like some tandoori chicken. Yeah, maybe it's marinated in full fat Greek yogurt or sorry, full fat yogurt, as opposed to being marinated in 0% Greek yogurt, which is my tandoori chicken recipe in the recipe book, right? So obviously if you can bring your own tandoori chicken to the thing, great, because then you can marinate it in the healthy thing and nobody will be able to tell the difference in taste, but you'll know it's healthy, right? But if they have tandoori chicken there, it's probably marinated in fatty yogurt, but that's fine. You can take some. Just understand that with that protein source, which is going to satiate you, be healthy for you, all that stuff, you are getting a little bit of fat, uh, probably a large dose of fat. So because we're eating more fat, limit the carbs when you go to different different iftars, right? You can have a little bit, but be very careful. And if you really want to lose weight during Ramadan, then don't eat carbs at iftar, right? If you're going out somewhere versus if you're eating at home then yes, do carbs that keep the fats low. But again, if you go eat out somewhere, you probably don't have control over the fats. And this is my strategy when I have clients go out to eat like with friends or whatever, or to a restaurant as well. Get the high protein options, 
limit the carbs because even the protein options are cooked in oil. Mm. Even the veggies are cooked in a lot of oil. Too fast fire. So that can be hard for some people. But um, so again, if you're like somebody who's very addicted to carbs, we can, you know, make some changes there too. Like that's fine. And we all want to be able to eat rice. And that's why, you know, if you can try to eat more of your iftars at home, but of course, you know, part of Ramadan is connecting with others and everything. I mean, that's a huge part connecting with other Muslims being around family. So of course, you know, if you go to somebody's house and here's one area where we can use frame control for good. Okay. Cause we we're talking about controlling the frame earlier. So here's the thing. There's a couple different frames at play when you go to an iftar. There's your frame, which is, Hey, I'm trying to be on point with my fitness, be healthy, be on my personal development, be the best person I can be, go to Tarawih, feel energetic, not be gassy. Then there's the grandma frame, which is you must eat the food I made or I'll be offended. And you got to eat and, you know, being fat is healthy and like whatever stories your grandmas and, you know, family members have, or your auntie is going to get mad or be like, you know, you're not fat enough to get married yet. You need to add more fat to you or something like that. And meanwhile, you're like, no, I got to lose fat. What are you talking about? Times, times a different grandma. I'm just kidding. But anyway, not that we would never talk to our grandma like that. I'm just making a joke. But, um, but then there's a the frame of Islam and this is a frame that we all respect as we should, right? Which is, Hey, you know what? Do some da'wah. So if you have eaten a, a, an amount of food that you feel comfortable with, you know that you feel good, you follow the one-third, one-third, one-third hadith, you're keeping it healthy, you, know, you drank some water before you ate, filled up one-third of your stomach with that water, then you eat and you fill up one-third with, with food and you save one-third room to save room for your breath so you can properly focus during Tarawih, go deeper in the Ibadah, do more, have more stamina, not be gassy. And then your grandma tries to pressure you to eat more, your auntie pressure you to eat more, be very kind. Because, you know, of course, in Islam, we're obligated to be kind and respectful to our family, but do some that one and say, you know what, Nanima, you know, if you're Pakistani, you say Nanima, or, you know, if you're, if you're Arab, maybe you say Jiddah, right? Um, you know what, Grandma, I, I actually uh, am practicing the Sunnah of our Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because I really, because I'm, I'm planning on going to Taraweeh after this, and I want to make sure I can focus. And our Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he told us, uh, eat, say one third of your stomach for food, one third of your stomach for water, one third of the safe room for your breath. And there's also a hadith that, you know, uh, I, I'm going to have to find the direct quote, but it's like, uh, he who cannot resist the temptations of stomach of his stomach, uh, dims the light of faith in his heart. I, you'll have like Google search that, uh, dims the light of faith in your heart food hadith. Right. But this is an important one. So if you share these two hadith and you say, so the food was super delicious, I'd love to take some home as a leftover. Right. But, uh, but, but right now I don't want to overstuff myself because then I might not make it to Taraweeh and I'm, I'm, I'm going to not be able to focus and I want to make sure I can stay for Qiyam, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, when you, when you approach it in that kind, respectful manner and you show them that your reason is Islam, which transcends culture and transcends the, uh, you know, pressures or desires of the family, sometimes they're going to respect that. Sometimes they won't, but usually they will because nobody's going to say, no, our culture is more important than the Hadith than Islam. Nobody's going to say that. So people respect that frame. And you know what? Maybe it's going to inspire them to be healthy too. And maybe not because Allah guides who he wills, mm -hmm. right? Like, but, you know, in, in Surah Al-Asr, Allah tells us to remind each other and urge each other towards, you know, good deeds and truth and perseverance, right? Um, you know, when Allah tells us, you know, again, in Surah Al-Asr. So again, you know, share the truth with people, but Allah guides who he wills and just, you know, ultimately try your best. And, you know, maybe you have a cheat meal once a week. That's fine. You know, I always advocate for that. I'm actually a fan of having a cheat meal once a week. It's actually good for your metabolism. I got other videos on that. But, um, you know, there's a lot more I can say on this. We only got like three minutes. So that's kind of the, uh, the iftar strategy in a nutshell is that's what you do when you eat at home. That's what you do when you eat with family. Focus on protein options. Control the carbs because you can understand the protein options are cooking a lot of oil. And use the hadith to give da'wah to your family without offending them so that they understand that, no, it's not that I mind the food. It tastes so good. In fact, it tastes so good that I want to eat more. 
But my greatest priority this Ramadan is to become closer with Allah. And so I'm following this hadith that our Prophet وسلم, recommended to help us to go deeper on ibadah and have more, you know, uh, more stamina and, you know, more perseverance with our prayers, inshallah. So we'll bring it to a close, inshallah. There's loads more that I could speak oh, to you. Yes. One more thing. I forgot to say, after Taraweeh, everybody has sweets cravings. So don't go for the yeah. kanafa, don't go for the gulab jamun. On Shobani, zero Greek yogurt. They got 60 calories each, 11 grams of protein. They're sweet, they're delicious. They just came out with a new flavor called milk and cookies, which is absolutely delicious. So if you have sweets cravings after Taraweeh, you can eat like two or three of those and it's still under 200 calories. So I just want to add that last part of the iftar nutrition. I don't know if they have that here. That So is it low fat Greek yogurt? The recommendation essentially. It's zero fat. Zero fat, zero sugar Greek yogurt. It's really good. Okay, Jazakallah khair for that. There's so many uh, different topics yeah. that we could speak about. And um, time, just wanted to end with this because I know we've only got two minutes. Um, the importance of, if they're close family, they know you a lot. So by now, you should have moved in the direction where they kind of know what you're doing and respect it. If they're more distant family or you're going just for Ramadan, or then you can use those, um, you can use that da'wah method, I guess. But a lot of, Part of Islam is also being the willingness to embrace a bit of discomfort. But I can understand it's a it's a very kind of um, it's a difficult situation to navigate sometimes. And I think you can mitigate it by just taking a little bit sometimes. Like even if it's one bite, that gets over that. Oh, you've not had any. Just take like a little bite, mm-hmm. and that kind of gets over that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to end with um, what should people do because information's out there, right? Chat GPT. I can type in how should I prepare for Ramadan, and it'll give me a list, right? But accountability is lacking. That's the most important thing. Everyone's got loads of information last five years. Everyone's like an internet kid. What should people do? I recommend um, people take coaching if they want to transform themselves, right? Because you get the accountability, you get the full-on system. This is just like you could only touch on a topic, right? So where should people go um, in terms of if they want to work with you? And also what resources have you got for them in terms of like um, links and whatnot? Yeah, so definitely recommend hiring a coach. I have coaches for everything. I've had many mentors. I've invested, you know, over six figures in coaching and multiple six figures in education overall. And uh, alhamdulillah, I've had the luxury and opportunity to do that. And again, you know, what I want to do is pass on those blessings to everybody here, which is why we do this content. It's a form of Sadaqah Jariya. And again, Jazakallah Khair for this interview. I appreciate it. For, uh, for different like free resources or if you're interested in investing in yourself and hiring me and our team as a coach. Um, so the free resources, you can send me a DM on Instagram with the word Sahur, if you want my Sahur guide. Another one with the word Iftar for the Iftar guide. He can send me a DM with the word Ramadan. I'll send you my free entire Ramadan overview strategy, the cookbook, the recipe book, which is like 45 pages. It's amazing. Bunch of other stuff. In addition to all like the different video bundles and instructional free videos. So I got a ton of free content. But of course, free content is information. But if you struggle with implementation and customization, then you would definitely benefit from having a coach. So if you want more details on my coaching program, DM me with the word coaching. If you're interested in optimizing your time management as well, that's something that we do. But it sounds like uh, Brother Adil is actually specialized in that. So if that's a specific area for you, then absolutely talk to Brother Adil as well. And um, you know, mashallah, it's been great connecting with you, bro. I'm excited to connect with you further in the future, my brother, because mashallah, you got a great head on your shoulders. You're an amazing coach, I can already tell. And uh, it's always an honor to connect with fellow Muslim brothers. And it's been an honor doing this podcast. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for the kind words. And it's... Um... I think we followed each other on Instagram a while back and I was I like to get guests on after I've seen them like upload content and stuff. So Alhamdulillah, I was very happy that you agreed to come on and shared all this valuable advice. And um, we we'll link everything in the description. Go to Brother Muni's Instagram, 
Jazakallah khairan and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa yakum wa jazakum wa alaikum assalam.